Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. I don't buy for one second that because Tom Brady was born in the 70s and that, that these current players in the NBA were born in the in the 70s or 80s, that somehow they, they don't know what competition is and that that, that all died out in the with players that were born in the 60s. That's nonsense. And it's similarly nonsense that somehow the, the players in the 80s or 90s weren't as tough-minded as the players who played in the 60s. Courage and greatness didn't, didn't die out when, you know, when later generations came along. Oh, it's the age-old debate, right? Era to era, decade to decade. How are the players different? Who's better? I must get fatigued on it. Yeah. I mean, I do. I I, I mean, I don't... how How do you separate? How do you know? You know, you asked me a couple weeks ago on the show, said, what era would you like to live in? Uh, or report in. I said, I'll go in the 40s and 50s. I think baseball was at its the best uh, it ever was and, and will ever be. Mm-hmm. And I think those players were unbelievable. Like, sure. I don't even think of, and, and this is not right, but I don't even think of any player right now as good as Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. Mm. Don't even think about it. Well, sure. that's not true. They probably are just as good, if not better, more athletic, more in tune with their craft because of what's at their disposal now. Now, those guys were brilliant at their craft. It's one of the most underrated things I think about baseball, especially golf comes into this. And I'm sure football and, and all the other sports is just how knowledgeable of their craft these guys are. They don't get enough credit for that. Mm-hmm. But I think when you go decade to decade, era to era, so hard to, to, uh, to really compare because the styles athlete has changed so much. The workout habits have changed so much. It's just so different. Uh, but there are, I guess, like Jay Billis was just saying, there are probably a lot more similarities than we give it credit for, even though it was black and white images versus color yeah. images and HDTV and all the rest. You know, Sam Jones lives in the area, former uh, Celtic great. And, uh, he's, he's awesome. And uh, I've asked him this before. I said, all right, so who's the best player? You know, he's in Michael Jordan, LeBron. He watches it all still. Uh, and said, oh, Bill Russell. <laughs> he yeah. won the most championships. Simple as that. Hmm. And, of course, he played with Bill Russell, and he of played course. on those legendary Celtics teams. Yeah. So that makes sense. But I think that's the point. There are a lot of people right now that say, LeBron James, best player. Well, that's because it's this generation. It's what they know. They played against they him. Know. Don't you want to – if you played in the NBA right now, don't you want to say, yeah, I played against the best guy ever? It was LeBron. Obviously. Even though the recent poll and, and most people would say, yes, it's Michael Jordan. That's that's what's cool about Jordan is that across all uh, generations, mm-hmm. I would think most people would still vote for him. It's like Babe Ruth, right? Babe Ruth would win that vote of all-time baseball players, yeah. and, and he hasn't played in like 80 years. Let me ask you this question. Talking about baseball, basketball, or football, if you take somebody from the 30s, 40s, or 50s and you bring them to today's game – which sport would be the hardest to adjust to, and what sport would probably be the easiest to adjust to? Oh, uh, basketball, baseball, football. Correct. I mean, you can throw hockey in there, but we, yeah, yeah. 
Let's go baseball, basketball, football. They still play hockey? Uh, uh, did that feel good? Yeah, did. did that cheap shot feel good? I did. Was it worth it? Okay. Yeah, it kind of was. Okay. I haven't got to the back part of that uh, bold take podcast. Oh, yeah, so. just wait. It goes yeah. downhill. I mean, you thought I talked you up really nice in the first half. Wait till that second half comes yeah, out. Yeah, I thought about that one today at Eddie Bauer. But the uh, baseball's easy transition. Mm-hmm. The game hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. And those guys today would hit bombs. Sure. If, and, if they had to, and and they, you know, like, and it takes all sh- shapes and sizes. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. Now listen, a lot of those guys, how would they have performed in today's like pitchers from back then? Because they were they would just throw like all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And now they'd be treated with kid gloves, and would you even get to ninety pitches and and all those like. But still, I think the game of baseball's somewhat similar. Okay. Uh, oof, NFL man. That's I mean, kind of where they even know what a forward passes in the 30s and 40s. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm, where I'm leaning. Is that I, but, NFL? But really, what sticks out to me, and I think you bring up a good point. You you said this before, and we said who's the best athlete, and it might be the NBA players. Mm-hmm. Were they in the 30s and 40s as good of an athlete as they are now? Would they just get run out of the gym? Would they be able to? You know, the jump shot was so important then. Yeah, you, you couldn't dunk back yeah. then. Yeah. Would they still fit in? I gotta believe fundamentals still win the day in all sports. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to play that skill set, and if you're fundamentally sound, you get by. Uh, I would probably say football, though. It is a mm-hmm. different game. Basketball's different in some sense. Baseball, I think, is pretty similar, even though now we care about home runs and, and we don't care if you strike out four times a game. Mm-hmm. But I would think football uh, would be not necessarily the violent nature of it. I think the style of it. Sure. I, I think you'd have. Again, with the quarterbacks, the receivers, uh, even the blocking ability of offensive linemen, mm-hmm. would they? Would it be the similar skill set of a pass-heavy game now? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably where I'd lean. You know, and and, I and agree combine with it with the crazy athleticism too. Well, I mean, you talk about offensive linemen running four, six, four, forties. That, that's going to be my point. Where if you look at the evolution of the athlete, like yeah, I'm very adamant in saying I think basketball athletes are probably the biggest ones. You know, they're they're, they're most impressive. But in terms of going from the you know the the forties or the fifties from the NFL to the athletes now, I mean like yeah I get it like you know even back in, like in the seventies eighties you get like Walter Payton you had guys like Barry Sanders um you know Bo Jackson Deion Sanders like you had these guys that were freak athletes all right and, and you definitely appreciate that but I think what made them so great is they're kind of few and far between you turn on the TV now and every team's got freak athletes. Okay, so for an NFL player back, you know, in the, in the early times, you know, in those black and white times to come and play now, I just think it would be a rude awakening at any position from the speed and obviously from the power standpoint if you're playing in the trenches. Yeah, but it's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, I do think the games are more similar than we think. The athlete looks a lot different now, and, and again, yeah. the athletic ability of an athlete, heck, the athletic ability of a kid in high school uh, now is so different mm-hmm. uh, than than it was but, again, the fundamentals win the day, and there's probably some qualities that we're leaving out of the 30s and 40s or 50s and, and that athlete, that generation, that isn't prevalent today, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, look, as much as you worked your butt off, and I think so many of those guys worked their butt off, there was something that people appreciated about a guy like Puzz mm-hmm. because he was almost a throwback guy. Absolutely. You know? Without a doubt. Well, a lot of people worked hard. A lot of people thought they worked hard, mm-hmm. but few people like worked like Puzz worked. Exactly. Could you make the case that back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, a lot of people worked like Puzz did? I that's don't know. Good point. I, I, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not sure. 
I, yeah, that's uh, that's something I didn't really think of. You know, was was the mindset that that blue collar mentality. I think to live in those times, you had to have it. I, I don't think you're playing football if you didn't have it. So that's an interesting part where you talk about you know the the willing to to work, the willing to take care of yourself, and the willing to push through. I mean, you had to have it back then. Like nowadays. You know, some guys just get by with their athleticism. Now, athleticism probably wasn't growing on trees back then, but guys made it work because of their work ethic. So I think if you have work ethic, you can always find a way. And to be honest, I think if those guys played today, they might find a way. Yeah, I probably like would. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one thing about that, too, you mentioned some of those guys, right? Bo Jackson was just in a league of his own in terms of it felt like mm-hmm. uh, from athleticism. There was there were some Herschel Walker highlights on Twitter mm-hmm. the other day. Whew. My goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like 1979, 80, 81, you know, those the, those days. And it was, you talk about something that you felt like had never been seen. Now, some people would say Jim Brown, I'm sure. sure. And, but it, there always were those generational guys, I guess, is the point. Mm-hmm. You know, there, LeBron James is this generational superhuman. And there are always those guys. You know, Cam Newton has felt like that at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. They don't make many like Cam. Mm-hmm. So... I, but I guess every generation, or or maybe it's every other decade or whatever, it seems like you have that. It went from Herschel Walker to Bo Jackson, this guy that many people said nobody's ever seen. Well, 10 years earlier, they had seen Herschel Walker. I know Herschel wasn't playing baseball, but he was running like Bo. Yeah, he was doing a thousand push-ups a day as yeah. well. Yeah, so it, it's it's pretty interesting and uh, how that it, – it's just how it's how you view, but that's why it's also an endless conversation. That's why it kind of I get a little fatigued on that the comparisons because we could go around in circles all day on it. Of course, uh, but the comparison. There's no right answer. It's no exact it's, science. I think it's better to find the similarities of the generations. Sure, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and again, I think there are a lot more of them yeah. than uh, people probably want to admit. All right, uh, the Jaguars could go back in the facility today. Chose not to. Good move. Wait until another week. Slow play it a little bit after the holiday. Is there any rush to get back in there? Any reaction to them waiting uh, yeah, a week? I, I mean, listen. And by I the think, way, not players and coaches. They couldn't. Correct. But, but staff could. Correct. At a 50% capacity. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I think if, if you're a fan of football, if you're a Jaguars fan, you think, well, what's an extra week? You know, like that makes no sense. Like, what? Why? What is a week gonna do? You know, and I think that's kind of the narrative that can be thrown around right now in the city of Jacksonville. But I just think, Brent Moore, it's about the timing of it in terms of what day of the month it is, right? Because we do have a a national holiday coming up, and I think it was probably Doug Marone's goal to say, hey, you know what? You guys enjoy time with your family. It's been crazy with the pandemic. Maybe go visit some loved ones. You know, whatever you want to do. I'm not sure if traveling is going to be really a necessity, but just enjoy your weekend. um, Enjoy the holiday, and then after that, it's time to go back to work again. So it's kind of like the last hurrah of you guys enjoy yourselves before we start focusing back on football again. So here's a couple of things without getting into the minutia of everything. There's a lot going on, but here's some things that are, that are happening all across the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Jaguars are in compliance with a lot of it. Uh, they have cited athletic trainer Scott Trulock to be the team's newly appointed infection control officer. Uh, and along with, you know, Lamping and Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone and, and others, uh, they've been trying to kind of set forth uh, this path that they're going to go on uh, and create an infectious response team. So, listen, to me, that part's no different. That sounds kind of like very technical, but in a lot of people's workplaces, they might cite issues over a year and, and they have group meetings and they have leadership meetings mm-hmm. and then they have employer reviews and out of the reviews come a, hey, let's form this committee to 
do X. Mm-hmm. Well, that's basically what this is. Now, every business is being forced to make changes because of COVID-19, but that's how I view it. So there was some pushback, at least that I got a little bit, uh, some text messages and things about why did the Jags not hire somebody from outside? They took their athletic trainer and kind of made them the uh, infection control officer. Yeah. So why wouldn't you bring somebody else in enough on the plate already for the athletic trainer? Mm-hmm. I, I would say that's the guy you trust right now with the most knowledge of anything health related to you your staff and players. Already. Yeah. You're comfortable with them. I also think, and I'm not sure about this, you've been in the buildings, mm-hmm. but it goes a little bit toward what we were saying with the minority uh, postings and, and new jobs that might become available for minorities, women uh, on, on NFL staffs to give more opportunity. The staffs are so big anyway. There's so many people that work. Mm-hmm. And when changes are made, like new people come in, they add more. Like there are so many assistant coaches on a football team. My guess there are a handful of people that work in the training of course, uh, yeah. staff of, of the maybe more like I don't know how many, but in, in some places there might be eight and some there yeah. might be four. Yeah, so, yeah. so maybe you have enough bodies to be able to give, in this case, Scott Trulock, mm-hmm. uh, that title mm-hmm. and kind of head up what you're going to do uh, to combat COVID-19 within the building. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of made sense to me. I was a little but some people did say, hey. You know, Major League Baseball is doing this. Sure. NFL is doing this. Are they kind of just saying, eh, we'll, we'll fill the position, but. Yeah. No, listen, I, I'm not mad at the way they're going about it. You know, you, you hire a guy that's in the building already, a guy that you have experience with. I guess, and listen, I'm I'm not opposed to guys going back to work and, and you know, guys earning their paychecks and football being back, right? I think we, we all embrace that and we all look forward to that. And eventually, let's be honest, Brent, whether, you know, you're a small business owner, whether you're a professional athlete, like, eventually you have to, you have to get back out there and go back to work, man. And, um, regardless of what kind of what the environment is. But I'm going to say this though, and this is my one request right now from the NFL. Okay. It's that we talk about everybody being on the same page. There needs to be a protocol in place where if, you know, two or more players on a team come down with COVID-19, there's a protocol of what to do, okay? Because the last thing I want to see is a team get infected with, you know, four or five guys, you know, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, they get infected. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here, like, wondering, well, what, what should we do? What should we do? Like, you have to have the protocols in place. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because you put a protocol in place doesn't mean you can't change it to a week-by-week basis because we've seen it firsthand, Brent. But the landscape of the pandemic and the landscape right now of quarantine, it changes on a daily basis. So I'm not saying put in these, you know, Put these rules in stone saying, well, if something happens, you have to do this. All I'm saying is just put a protocol in where if it hits the fan, you're at least prepared for it. Because the last thing I want to see is the NFL not be ready for something if it goes drastically wrong. And we're sitting here wondering, well, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? Yeah, I think they have to be ready for that. They have had way too much of a heads up to be ready for that stuff. You know, like Major League Baseball is very thorough plan, at least that they've introduced 67 pages, I think it is. Uh, we will get a plan like that from the NFL, I think, once they are on the doorstep of, of actually games, practices, preseason games, those kind of things. I don't think there's any rush to that right now. Mm-hmm. Again, if I'm the NFL, I'm just kind of observing. I'm looking what the soccer leagues did across 
the pond. Uh, I'm do I'm seeing what other sports are doing, how we implement what we learn from their mistakes. It's a beautiful position to be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now, the NFL is the most powerful sport in in American sports. And they have the luxury right now of kind of sitting back and watching everybody else do this mm-hmm. and figure out what's right and wrong. It's a it's a beautiful position for them to be in, even in uncertain times mm-hmm. uh, right now. And, and it's really we don't talk about COVID-19 in a beautiful situation to be in. But I think it's fortuitous for the NFL uh, because they have not had to really be challenged when it comes to practices or games just yet. Mm-hmm. The part of the time frame of the year that they're missing is an appro- is an OK one to miss. It's OTAs. It's mini camps. It's not the end of the world. They were able to still do all their transactional business anyway. So the NFL has really been lucky mm-hmm. uh, at the timing of this. Now, it could get unlucky mm-hmm. if COVID-19 returns you know, in a big way in the fall, which some experts and medical experts predict. All right, what else is going on? The Jaguars team there is responsible for the implementation of a screening process, which requires employees to complete a training exercise and questionnaire and undergo multiple temperature checks that's become the thing these temperature checks uh which i think we might even get in our own building mm-hmm. as people come back to work and i'm sure many other folks uh, in businesses across the area and the country a maximum of 75 employees no more than 50 percent of the team's football staff is permitted on site beginning next tuesday uh, the group includes personnel from football operations strength and conditioning athletic training equipment facility management and technology so why is this group doug marone hinted at this last friday and he said well All our equipment, everything that we use to operate, to Mm -hmm. teach, to coach, the film we look at, to draft players, everything kind of got brought into all of our houses. You know, or as much yeah. as possible. No, for sure. That's that's crazy. Well, so about. they have to kind of reset things. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I think it's okay for the coaches and players not to be there right now because a lot of these folks, the staff that will get the practice fields ready and everything else. Well, they can do all those things as they get back in the building, and then the players and coaches can come down the road. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, yeah. uh, especially this time of year. Uh, one last thing. for Well, maybe not one last, but uh, here's some more. Between now and May 26th, team is finalizing and testing its safety protocols before admitting new employees. Safety protocols include adding additional signage, education about etiquette and hand hygiene, ensuring social distancing where possible. So all the things that you're seeing probably at the grocery store, quite frankly. Sure. All employees that return to the facility will do so on a voluntary basis as long as they are comfortable returning to the stadium. Now, this is where mm. it gets interesting. A couple of things. And I think this is at all businesses, but it's really tough if you're at the top because you can't demand, even though you can wonder and question. It's almost like that employee who calls in sick. Were they really sick or did they just want a day? You're not going to question you it. You can't question it, yeah. right? Well, this really becomes prominent now, I think, as we return to work mm-hmm. in this setting. Hey, this hasn't been that bad working from home. Mm-hmm. I don't, 100% I'm gonna participation, Brent. I'm going to stay at home, Yeah. right? Yeah. So how many people will choose that option? Will they still get their work done? And even in, and you can't really make people come in. And how long will that happen? Like how long does that go? That would be a very big challenge, I think, for the the front offices of every business as we get back to workplaces. From this one to the Jags to anyone, you have to really you can't really do anything if somebody says I, I don't want to come into work. I'm not comfortable coming into work. And I think this really relates to the older coaches. Remember we said we we're going to get to the older coaches. Yeah. Well, I think that's where it relates. How comfortable would you be if you're a 65 year old? assistant coach with an NFL team or a college team about getting back into a facility when you're around a bunch of people and a bunch of players that 
maybe they were out doing all other things and not taking this seriously. You can't mm-hmm. assume that they did everything. Yeah. Now you'd like to think they well, did. Well, and let's be honest, even if they ha- they might they have like notice the symptoms, they still might have it and they, and they pass might pass it on. It. Yeah, and then all of a sudden now you're And, and I shouldn't say just water. players, it could be pretty other employees. It could be 35-year-old employees says, "Yeah, whatever. I went out to the beach bars anyway." Or, you know, <laughs> I went out to the beach and yeah. it just didn't take it serious, but you put yourself in that position if you're 65, 70 years old, and there's pl- there are plenty of those kind of employees across the National Football League here mm-hmm. in Jacksonville and and definitely on college campuses. Heck, head coaches I mean, Nick Saban, what is he, almost 70 years old? Yeah. And There's a lot of coaches out there, man. He, sh- he could be more susceptible than, you know, 36-year-old Cliff Kingsbury. I want to look at it from the player's perspective quick. So you said, obviously, it's not mandatory to show up for, you know, these these meetings, um, these workouts. You can be left to your own devices and work out at home, and no one's going to blink an eye about it because they understand. Let me ask you this, though. From the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are the youngest team right now in the NFL, does that make you more nervous? Because, you know what I'm trying to say here? Where if you're the younger guy, maybe it's like, well, you know, like, and I'm not trying to sound like an ageist here or anything like that, but I feel like, you know, the teams like the Ravens, the teams like the Chiefs who have, like, those vets already ingrained, like, I have a feeling, you know, I'm the Ravens. I think Mark Ingram's going to call everybody big, hey, guys, we got to go to the stadium. Okay, we have unfinished business. Everybody meet here. I know it's it's a pandemic right now, but we'll take the necessary precautions. I'm sure those conversations are happening with Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs as well. Do you think those are happening with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now being the youngest team in the NFL? Well, I think it's a fair question. Who's who's making those calls, right? Is Gardner yeah. Minshew making those calls? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, who could be one of your team leaders, highest paid guy in the football team. Well, who knows what his status is mm-hmm. and how he feels about it all. Is Miles Jack, Joe Schobert doing that? Does Joe Schobert have the cachet to do that? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I got a sense the way this team has been built, and this might be where the, like those captains and good character guys come into play. Mm-hmm. They want to get their lunch pail and go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and they want to make a first impression. There's a lot of money on the table now. I, I don't think you'll see a lot of that. I actually thought more from a staffing standpoint, not, sure, not yeah. coaching staff. But I'm talking internal in the building. Of course. If, if a video guy says, hey, I don't feel comfortable going to work, well, he doesn't have to go to work. Yeah. I mean, well, I have to go work from home. And how is that going to work? How is that going to be perceived? Yeah. And how does that affect the operation of every business, by the mm-hmm. way, not just a football business? Oh, and listen, Brent, you've been around a lot of coaches, and they're some of the most stubborn individuals you're ever going to meet. You know, so it, it really, I mean... To me, it puts them at a very weird position, right? Because they're very, listen, to be a coach, a position coach, um, a coordinator in the NFL, uh, it takes ego, it takes stubbornness, and it takes an absolutely relentless tenacity, okay? And, you know, I get that you give the guys the option, but how many coaches do you think are going to be like, well, yeah, I'm kind of up there in age, I'm not going to show up for, for my team? Like, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more coaches in that stadium than not see them in the stadium. And let's be honest, that that can be worrisome, okay? Because the whole thing with COVID-19, think what you want to think about it, but you can't deny the fact that it, it affects people who are older. And a lot of coaches in the NFL, position coaches, or even the front office members, they're older. So it does kind of make I don't want to say, knock on wood, obviously, but it does make you a little nervous for, for, the, for the future of how this is going to go. Well, I think that's what has to make people nervous. Again, we stopped play for a couple of reasons, in my opinion, mm-hmm. if we're being bluntly honest. The sports would have eventually hit the pause button because of the nature of this thing. But the NBA stopped. Why? Because somebody tested positive. 
Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it became, oh, my gosh, there's a couple more people. What else has happened in that locker room? How yeah. many are going to get it? What about the trainers? What about the coaches? What about the older folks in that building, on that team, mm-hmm. security workers, all of those folks? You started saying, wow, look at all the people it could affect. So they hit the pause button on that because why? They were afraid that they were going to be a catalyst to get somebody else sick and then face whatever litigation mm-hmm. for doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think it will be the same thing this this way. I think that's what will be the ultimate test. When are you comfortable where, all right, we're not going to be responsib- responsible. That's why they basically have to say, hey, it's a voluntary thing right now. If an older coach, an older employee wants to go back in that building right now, there's a voluntary aspect of this mm-hmm. that you have to feel comfortable enough to do it. And I think, I think, I'm not a, a, a legal analyst here, but I think that would take the onus off the organization of any legal matter down the road if that person were, God forbid, die or have troubles yeah. uh, with COVID-19. But it is at the forefront of all this why people, why things stopped, why things maintain, uh, continue to be stopped for the most part, I think is the litigation part of it. Nobody knows how to handle that part of it amongst the pandemic. Yes, there are health and safety and all the good, those things too, the rightful things, mm. but don't kid yourself. Yeah. Litigation is at a, a high point Mm-hmm. On the priority list of we have to figure this part out because we can't put people in danger and and then have them coming back and and we're responsible for it. It's not yeah. only the right thing to do, but you don't want to be get taken to court all the time on it. Listen, I just hope in terms because that's what I keep going back to now is the coaches. You know, we talked about the players a little bit, but I think about the coaches. I just hope that who's ever running the show, whether it's a head coach, whether it's an owner. You know, they save some of these older coaches from themselves because I just I know how coaches operate, Brent, you know, and especially the old school type of guys who they're going to show up, you know, that they're going to show up because they think that they have to, you know, like, yeah, forget oh, it's mandatory, you know, it's not mandatory. It's voluntary. No, it doesn't matter to them, man. They're still going to show up and be there for their guys. So I just hope that, you know, someone can step in and just say, hey, we, we get it. We love your passion, what you bring to the table. But. Let's be honest. Some things are a little bigger than football right now. You have your family, so let's just take our time and get back into it. I just hope that's the way that it goes because I don't want to see a coach get sick. I'll be honest. Well, listen, they've got uh, all things in place to be able to at least get through this next stage. Jags facility will open next Tuesday. Again, coaches and players, I think, still a little ways off. But really, this would be the time of year they're almost getting out of there in a couple of weeks. We might not see coaches and players in there until July at some point. Uh, one other thought on, on what you just said. I do think along the coaching ranks, they've enjoyed this time, being able to spend time with the family and, yeah. and still be able to get work done. Yeah. I think a lot of people in, in every business yeah. has said, hey, you know what, I can still get a lot done and do this. Yeah. Now, as soon as other people go back in that building, there's like this guilt factor, especially the way those guys are made up of, sure. well, they're in there. I better get in there. Yeah. Because if I'm not being seen, people are thinking I'm not doing anything. Well, and listen, I'm glad they got spent time with their families, man. That's awesome. But they should have spent some time with some interior decorators because watching that draft, man, <laughs> all your houses are kind of just eh, except, you know, the King Kingsbury, baby. You know, Kingsbury's always bringing it. He did bring it. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, final segment of the show coming up. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 here on a Tuesday. Thanks for hanging with us. Transitioning to the other side of the ball, man. Just going to lay it out there really simply for you. Um, it's a yes or no question. Right. Will switching to the 3-4 suddenly make Todd Washington actually a good defensive coordinator? Meh. Nah. 
Is that an answer? No. Uh, I think he's going to be better, yes. So I'm saying yes. There you go. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a running joke on this thing. He's sort of a, a whipping boy around these parts. Oh, you... You had to. You, you, you couldn't play the next part where I talk Todd Wash up and share the story about what he did for my career. I have thirty seconds. Bummer. Should have got to it quicker. I made uh, I made Cap feel really bad about that because um long story. I'll, go, I'll tell the story real quick. I think I haven't shared this the Todd Wash story before, but what he did for me. I think so. Go yeah, ahead. Okay, we'll say. You have a lot time, of so. stories. You have stories for days. So I do like have that. stories for days. No, so listen. Say what you want about Todd Wash as a defensive coordinator and what he's brought to the table for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But in my career, I owe that guy a lot because when I ended up getting cut from the Jacksonville Jaguars in the spring, it was not supposed to go down like that. The original plan was because it was like the second or third OTA where I got cut. Well, there was like eight OTAs coming up. And the original plan from what I was told, and keep in mind, this is what a, a former teammate told me. But supposedly what happened was is that Dave Caldwell wanted to retain me through the entire OTA. Because that way, you know, I'm an extra body if somebody gets hurt. You know, basically I'm just kind of like, you know, a pawn, let's call it. And Todd Wash stood up for me and said, no, if, if we're going to cut Austin, we're going to cut him right now. Because then he gets a shot to go someplace else and we're not wasting his time. He's not wasting our time. And we're not, you know, we're not going to waste his time. So um, I always... You know, I never got a chance to even say thank you to Todd Wash for doing that. But like I said, I've had a bunch of teammates tell me that he did do that, in fact. So um, props to him for doing that, man, because he didn't have to. Yeah. You know? So uh, now, so you kind of owe him the thank you that Scobie owed you. Exactly. And therefore, you kind of say defense coordinator this year. Eh. No, but way to believe in him. Truth, truth being, no, if you listen to an interview, I said I think he's going to be better. But do I really thank him because I end up going to Kansas City and playing a 3-4 defensive tackle? So what does that really mean, Brent? You know? So maybe if I would have stayed around a little longer, that would have went someplace else. But the question is, is the 3-4 defense going to help out Todd Wash? And let's be honest, it maybe save his job here in Jacksonville. Um, to me, it's almost like the Gardner Minshew effect was for Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. We talk about Todd Wash and 3-4 defense, right? Because... Uh, the big reason why we think that Doug Marone and Dave Call were able to retain their jobs is because of Gardner Minshew. I think a big reason why Todd Wash may be able to save his job, you know, depending on how the season goes, is the 3-4 defense. Because it's something new, it's something fresh, it can put up big numbers, and if you have some, you know, low-key success with it, well, we saw it last year, Brent. All right, last year the defense was a nightmare. And if all of a sudden you come out and maybe you're a top-10 defense in the NFL... Well, that's something to point at. That's that's like your Gardner Minshew. It's like, well, look what I did this year, so you should keep me around. So I think Todd Wash actually has a lot going for him in terms of the scheme. Now, can they get the job done? Will the 3-4 defense work? Still a lot to be you know, desired, and we'll see. But I think that from the intriguing standpoint, it's going to help him out a lot. Yeah, it's a good call, right? Is What is the expectation level for yeah. everybody involved? Yeah. If Gardner Minshew himself won eight games, we'd be like, whoa. Right? Mm -hmm. Let's go, baby. Exactly. Nobody's expecting eight wins around here. Mm -hmm. uh, seriously, think about the NFL and think about the expectations of the NFL. And, and by the way, I understand if you're going to tell me, well, Jags' expectation should be to go to the Super Bowl and win every year. Okay. That's well, what what's your realistic? That's what you said at the combine. That's what I'm going to tell you, yeah. <laughs> but I understand that. Yeah. But if you're being realistic at what just happened this offseason, where they've been, what they've done, you're out of your mind if you're picking them to do that. I'm not placing any bets. Not even soon. me. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. But I think if you if I told you the Jags end up 8-8 eight and eight this year, you would say, hey, that's pretty, that's more fun than we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And whether that's right or wrong, that's reality. Mm -hmm. 
Now, again, it could be okay if 2021 is 11 and 5. All right? Mm-hmm. If I give you that, if I say, hey, 8 and 8 and then 11 and 5, you're like, okay, I'll sign up for it. Bottom line is, it shows you where the expectation level is in Jacksonville. Most people around the country think they're going to be 2 and 14. They're locked into the number one pick. They have the greatest odds to go 0 and 16 this year of any team in the NFL, according to Vegas. That's the expectation level. Gardner Minshew is just a placeholder for Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. If he goes out and wins eight games, I mean, he's exceeded expectations. Now, again, you have to say how will it look and, and things, but did the defense do all that? But the same goes for the coaching staff, maybe the GM, and maybe what you're talking about and the coordinators, too, and especially Todd Walsh with changing things around. Mm-hmm. I think there's a caveat to all that, though. The Jaguars have in place Doug Marone, who could – His job be saved with an expectation that is low and ends up getting seven or eight wins or something like that and exceeding what most people think. And and people aren't like pounding down the door like they were last year to fire him. Mm -hmm. But he's got Jay Gruden, who's done it before in Washington, kind of nipping at his toes a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know that's not the intention, but it is. He's there, much like Marone was there when Gus Bradley was toward the end. And then even in Dave Caldwell's situation, you have a guy, Trent Bulky, who's done it before in San Francisco and had some success. And he's now right behind Dave Caldwell. So, yes, the expectation level is kind of there's a there's a low line to hit to exceed them or at least reach them. But I don't know if it definitely locks them in. I, I think there's a lot to be determined even after this upcoming season because of kind of who else is there. Mm-hmm. If Jay Gruden does a great job, but they only win seven games because the defense didn't play well, oh, well, Jay Gruden could be the guy, right? I think it's a clean house type of situation. I, that's the way I've always said it. But who knows? Um, it's interesting the way the Jags are set up because they have some of those, much like 16, mm-hmm. where they had Marone behind Gus. Marone comes in, interim guy, ends up, you know, few weeks later getting the job although i don't still not convinced that was the original plan for him to get the job i think it worked out for him to get the job uh this time around they could have a guy like balky who's done the gm stuff before or jay gruden who's been uh, a head coach before waiting in the wings so i'm gonna say right now there's a thought that say the jaguars maybe wins five or six games next year there is still a thought that caldwell Marone could still keep their jobs. Okay, at least that's what I'm kind of getting the vibe of. There's a lot of hype around Jay Gruden right now. People are excited for Jay Gruden, right? We just talked about Chris Thompson. We talked about Jay Gruden, and 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 then you should be excited. You know, it's something new. We we had screen passes come back to Jacksonville. Brent, welcome back. Get the parade ready. Let's go. Todd Wash, the hype around him, not so much, right? No one's really excited excited to say, well, we got Todd Wash no. coming back. Let's go. So we've had this exercise with Gardner Minshew where we said, is it the stats? Is it the wins? What's going to keep Gardner Minshew's job here in Jacksonville? What's going to keep him to be the starting quarterback? We kind of already established that. We talked about it. With a defensive coordinator, though, it's not necessarily wins, loss. I mean, it's literally how your defense does. So if you're Dave Caldwell, and let's say you're coming off a five- or six-win season and you're on the fringe, and let's say that you retain your job, what does that Jaguars defense have to do next year to make sure that Todd Wash keeps his job? Well, it's an interesting deal because I feel a little bit different about him. One, because he doesn't come with head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. And two, I think he's kind of packaged in with Marone. Mm-hmm. See, if, if Marone doesn't make it through, then I think Todd Wash isn't staying on. He, he survived Gus Bradley, but he's not well, staying on. Well, let's go ahead and assume that maybe Marone does stay okay, on. And well, then, yeah. well, then I think, yeah, I think you have to show – I I think – 
if I'm Todd Wash, I bring my resume in, it shows 17, which is one of the best defenses ever suited up for the Jacks, and my name's on it. You can talk to me about all other things. Hey, Gus Bradley helped build it. You know, they, they had all these talented players. They brought them in. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Todd Wash's name's on it. Mm-hmm. The next year, top five defense. Now, it wasn't as good, and it wasn't as productive in terms of turnovers, but still a top five defense. That's what they looked at. They didn't fire him. They fired yeah. the offensive coordinator. They didn't fire Todd Wash. And so they liked Todd Wash, is my point, and enough to trust him to do this as well. Uh, so – I'm not answering your question completely because I don't know what the metric is, but I think you're kind of on the money. If they can be a, a top-half defense in year one of this full transition to 3-4, wouldn't you say that's kind of a win? Mm. If you're not giving up five 200-yard rushing games like they did last year, really it was four, but one was like 197, so I counted as five. <laughs> Roundup. Uh, then isn't that a win? If you're not looking embarrassingly bad mm. on defense like they did at times, Again, where's it goes with winning games. You know, he, I think he is hooked to Doug Marone. I do think that. I'm not sure Jay Gruden specifically hooked to Doug Marone. I do think Todd Wash is hooked to Doug Marone. So uh, now, could you see things go really bad on defense and a change made during the season? Because Doug Marone maybe gets desperate, has to make moves. We saw that in the Gus Bradley era right at the end, right? And he's uh, Greg Olson fired, Nathaniel Hackett brought in. I mean, you start making changes. That's what happens, mm-hmm. you know, uh, That if that's the last button that needs to be pushed. But Marone, Shad Khan, Dave Caldwell, they've been pretty loyal to Todd Wash through this, even though the fans have not been big fans of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be an interesting transition. But you said it. The expectation level is not that he doesn't have to do too much. Doesn't have to be a top five defense to be like, hey, nice job, Todd. I, I really don't think he has to. Now he's got a lot of new players, and on defense they really have had a huge makeover. Yep. So he's got a big challenge ahead, going to three four as well. And I think that is harder than people think. But the one thing we didn't talk about much is when we would go to the wall that says it all last year. Didn't you show us like that they were in that three four defense more than people thought they were Correct. already? Now they didn't go full go. They didn't make it a vocal thing. They didn't announce it. They actually kind of backtracked on it and said, "Hey, Jan wasn't in camp, so we couldn't do all the things we wanted to do." But there were so, I remember plays, man, of when course. Josh Allen was kind of back in that three four look. So of they course. showed at least the principles of the three four. So some of these guys seem they already started to morph it last year. I guess is my point. Yeah, you know, and I think. If you analyze the NFL, a lot of defenses do that. Like, a, a lot of defenses are going to run that hybrid technique where sometimes it'll be a 3-4, sometimes a 4-3, kind of based on personnel and who you're going against. But, like, the biggest difference to me right now is, is this going to be a full-blown 3-4? You know, like, is this going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars calling card? Because, yes, we did break it down last year on the wall that says it all, but... I couldn't stand there and say confidently, like, oh, yeah, they're th- three-point yeah, defense yeah. now. Like, yeah, maybe we saw some looks here or there. You know, obviously on on third down, we saw, we saw some of those exotic looks. I think those are more Dom Capers inspired when he was here last year. But it's going to be telling this year if you do see the full-blown transition. If you do see, you know, like when you look in, uh, on your roster, when you look in your programs, it's going to say it's going to line them up in a 3-4 defense. You know, so I'm curious to see if they go full blown or is just more wrinkles, more wrinkles, you know more wrinkles. What's in- interesting to me too is who brought in Trent Balky? Was it Caldwell? No idea. Was it Shad Khan? Was it Marone? No, it wouldn't have been Marone. So who brought him in? Because 
They were going. He's a three-four guy. He built that three-four San Francisco defense, right? Correct. Alden Smith and of and those guys. Pat Patrick Willis. Yeah, yeah. So he Beast. helped. Again, I don't say he built him, but I mean he helped draft the players. He helped acquire the players for that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look what they've done since Balky has been here, they've what acquired players that fit the three-four scheme. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't. That, know, I wonder how much point. of that we, is. We haven't talked about that before yet. At least I haven't talked about it with, no. with Balky. You know, I'm. That is a great point. You know, because he was brought in for a reason. If you're Dave Caldwell, do you bring in competition for in case you lose your job? I, I can't say I would do that. Well, I don't know. And keep in mind, from that point of view, and I don't know this, I haven't really asked too much about it, but like Chris Polian was obviously a, kind of from the family, if you will, mm-hmm. because Caldwell worked under Bill Polian mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So it made sense for Chris Polian to be there. Well, what did Chris Polian do to get let go? Well, I don't know. I mean, how much of this was his fault? Yeah. Probably not a lot. Yeah. Really? I mean, if you're going to put the blame game on people, how much was, was Chris Polian's fault? Mm-hmm. Probably not much. That's why I think it came from above Caldwell. I don't think this was a Caldwell move. It would have been Shad Khan, Tony Khan kind of move to say, hey, just to let you know, we're bringing in competition for you guys, too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You guys are on notice here. But also, we're bringing in a guy that knows the system. If we're going to shift over... And, uh, by the way, has a history way back in the 90s on North Dakota State, I think it is, with Todd Wash. Mm-hmm. So it has a little history there with Wash. Mm-hmm. So the Trent Balky move is interesting because they've made the full go to 3-4, it looks like. They brought in the players that look like 3-4 guys. Yeah. And Balky's done it before in San Francisco. Well, let me ask you this. When was Balky brought in? I mean, February. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. But, but it, it, it was... Past the point of Tom Coffin being here, right? Like Tom Coffin was yeah. relieved of his duties, then he was brought in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it makes you wonder if, if a guy like Tony Khan, who probably has a little more of a thumbprint now on this on this Jaguars team, who's on, on the analytical side, one could wonder if he kind of crunched the numbers a little bit, compared the 3-4 defense to the 4-3 defense, and said, you know what? We should maybe go in this direction. And if, Todd, if Tony Khan was actually the guy who maybe was responsible for getting new blood with a 3-4 defense in here. Well, it begs a lot of questions, right? Because we're going through this right now and, and really just kind of Off the throwing top. some things out there. <laughs> yeah. But this 3-4 defense, we if you really add it up, you're like, okay, is, is Dave Caldwell going to bring Trent Baalke in because he has experience in the 3-4? Okay, that makes a little sense. But he's going to bring in potentially his successor? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could make the case, what, Gus Bradley in 16 brought in Doug Marone mm-hmm. to be part of the staff. Who potentially you could line it up to be a successor. You're just trying to win games, mm-hmm. whatever you think's best. Mm-hmm. So if Bulky has a history in that and has had some success in that and knows what the three four talent looks like. Uh and by the way, brought in Aaron Lynch, who we also drafted in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So that shows you he has an imprint here. I think Cassius Marsh too might have been San Francisco when he was there. Right. Yeah. So he's made Trent Bulky from behind closed doors has made an impact on this roster, clearly. Mm-hmm. Right with the three four looks and even a guy like Lynch and maybe even Cassius Marsh. So, yeah. But it does it begs that question is like who brought him in mm-hmm. and does it show you that Shad Khan is more involved in the football stuff than he's been in the past, which we wondered about and we said he would be anyway. Mm-hmm. Now that Tom Coughlin's not here because he trusted Tom to do all that stuff, that was clear as day. Or should we say Tony Khan's more involved? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really it does raise some interesting questions about kind of the pecking order in there and how this all came about. Yeah. Uh, now, listen, do I think Jay Gruden's in there because Doug Marone thought he'd give him the best chance offensive coordinator? Yeah, I do. I think everybody thought that. I, I think so. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying they're being, hey, you have to have this guy in there. That's not a good way to run things. Um, 
But the bulky one is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, might have to dig a little deeper on that. I just think either way, whoever brought him in, I just think the fact that he's got these three, four principles from San Francisco showcased that before. Uh, Brings the personnel in for it. And he's, he's doing a, a lot of that. Uh, it shows you that Bulky's got a little bit more of a – like I never felt Chris Polian had an imprint on the roster. Now, he might have, yeah. but I never felt it. Yeah. I feel like Bulky has had a little say in this roster. Yeah. You know, more so, and I think that showcased a little bit through the 3-4 acquisitions. And not to say Dave Caldwell couldn't have acquired a 3-4 guys. I mean, he knows football. Sure. I know some people argue that, but he knows football, and I think he could go acquire the same. Yeah. But I think a little bit of this is is uh, some meetings with Bulky and, and Bulky's decision-making and, and has some handprints and footprints on, on what's going on here. Listen, man, uh, I'm just sitting here listening to you break this down right now, and I'm like that guy from The Wire, you know, in that gift where he's kind of like just kind of glancing over like, whoa, what's going on right now? Like, that, that's how I feel, you know, because I, I honestly, I never put two and two together, you know, with with their signings and everything like that, kind of with that backup GM role. Um, it does make a lot of sense, you know, and it was kind of in front of us the whole time, and I, I never pondered it one time, but you bring a guy over with the San Francisco 49ers, who was obviously very versed in a 3-4 defense, who had a lot of success in the 3-4 defense. And then you look at it now with the personnel um, and, you know, the kind of the rumblings of them switching over. I mean, it makes too perfect a sense. Oh, your uh, appearance on the Bold Take podcast yeah. brought this up uh, yeah. with your relationship with Todd Wash, and you owe him a thanks, much like Josh Scobie gave you a thanks. Yeah, yep. And then, well, then you kind of owe me thanks for going on that show then because you were – Hesitant and said I couldn't go on anymore. You just tweeted that out. I and did. Now, I, well, no, and I'm now still we probably have the best topic that. of the show today because of them. Well, I actually thought the blow up dials was a better topic, but um, <laughs> very relatable to everybody. Yes, Brent. Yes, <laughs> I Jay, mean, Jaguar fans are hanging by a limb. When, yeah. when we went uh, bold, when we went blow up dolls to Disney songs. In a 30-second span, I thought that was a pretty good pivot. Something for everybody, man. Something for the dogs, something for the kids, man. Hey, we cover all our bases here on ESPN 690. Absolutely. Once I listened to the rest of the Bold Take podcast, you may be suspended. No, I'm never going on again. No, you're fine. I mean, from your standpoint, I had nothing but nice things to say about you and Coos. So you're welcome for that. Even Coos? Oh, now we know you're lying. This is all yeah. fabricated. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. I figured the boss will be listening. I want to make everybody sound good here at the Cox Media Group. Was it Cox Media anymore? No. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> make sure I didn't. It's oh, good. boy. Well, I thought we got... Bo- got to see got uh, know who he works for. That's a little behind the scenes. I thought there was like a corporate take... Whatever. So Cox Media Group. Okay, so Cox Media Group. Get the name, yeah. Okay. The powerhouse well, that is Gotcha hey, Media Group. I don't have my work email. Haven't had it for like a year now, so sorry yeah, I didn't see it. Don't have a key code to get in. I know. Might man. not really be <laughs> do, able to get in tomorrow. Do I even work here? Like, <laughs> and, you might be like, like what's his name from the office? Checks right he now? hasn't been actually employed for yeah. two years. Check out the Bold Take Podcast. Check out our podcast as well while you're on there. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You can uh, listen to the show every day if you missed it. Hey, Kuz, happy birthday, man. Hope you get some cake, a present, something. Happy birthday, dude. I should have brought you a cake. Now I feel bad. I don't really like cake, though. All right. Glad I didn't get you one. (laughs) Have a good night. We'll see you on TV, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Thanks for hanging with us on ESPN 690. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.